And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. And of course, I have to tell you about today's episode sponsor. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult, but Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably. And they have the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. All right, friends. So this, this guest is gonna, we're gonna talk about a lot of things, I imagine, because she wears many hats and she has a lot of skills and she has a really, really interesting background. Our guest today, her professional career spans over 30 years as a corporate controller, CFO, consultant, CEO, founder. She's worked in all kinds of businesses and she has a love of startups. And I'm really, really excited today to welcome to the show, Lisa Laporte, CEO of Twit TV. Lisa, thanks so much for joining us. Well, I appreciate you having me on your show. For sure. This is going to be a good one. I love it when you get people who are like double, triple, quintuple, sextuple threats in the business world, because that means that we get to have a really, really good conversation, right? Absolutely. And I have never wanted to be bored. And I tend to leave companies when they get too large because I want to shove you in a box and I don't want to be in a box. I want to be able to do whatever I'm inspired to do. That I want to give like I'm giving an air hug right now. You can't, y'all can't see me, but Lisa can, and I'm just giving her an air hug because I'm like, yes, that sounds wonderful. Let's not be bored. Let's do different things, and let's not be in a box. But I want to hear more about that, Lisa. So I'm going to ask you first question. Tell us about your journey. Well, my journey started pretty young. I started running companies around 18, and then I did become a corporate controller by 33, and I really wanted to be that. That was my big goal when I was younger. And I wanted to reach that by 35. So I acquired that goal at 33. And then after working at a startup, because it was a startup that I joined, there were about eight people and a couple of entities. And then we had, I had 10, I had 10 years at this company and I had three different roles at this company. So I was able to watch a startup from eight or nine people go to three, 400 people where we're overseeing five, 600 entities. It was a real estate developer. So not only did they build, they were buying and selling and things along those lines. And we had apartments and, you know, commercial buildings, et cetera. And I just realized that, you know, I really enjoyed working there. I was able to have a bunch of different you know, roles there. But then I just realized if I'm going to work this hard, I'm going to work this hard for myself and not for somebody else. So I left my company. I left the corporate world, making six figures, partnership, in, you know, partnership equity, left it all on the table and walked away with a 150 and said, I'm going to become a consultant. I'm going to be a micro CFO, COO. It was right when the dot-com crashed. Everybody was scrambling and firing people. I walked away from my job and started my own business at probably one of the worst possible times you would do it. And I started consulting for a bunch of different 
um, a bunch of different businesses. And within two years, I had the CFO title at three companies. I had two bookkeepers working for me. So I would do pretty much anything from, do you need to restructure? Do you just need to downsize? Or do you need to pivot and do something new? So it was really fun. I'm really... I'm not, I'm fearless. I'm not afraid of anything. I work in a man's world, which is interesting. I know you're supporting women, which is something I tend to do. I try to mentor back to other C-level women if I can help promote them. And then I stumbled upon twit.tv, which was be, it was originally founded by Leo Laporte. He's my partner and now my husband. And he had been running this for a couple of years and he said he really wanted to grow this network. So I joined him and we really set this network on the map. And I've been doing this now for 15 years, which shows you how interesting it is because I have to be doing other things. So I can't just be doing one thing. So it's been quite a journey to go from this podcast network where nobody knew what a podcast was to now... (laughs) We're in this crowded space and everybody and everyone has a podcast. So it's been really interesting and a fun career. It's true. I'm I'm kind of giggling in my head as you're talking to the other podcast host about all of the podcasts that are out there. I'm like, I know, I know, there's so many. Uh, but well, so so I want to I want to take it back for just a minute because yeah. you you said a lot of interesting things when you were talking about kind of how you came up, and I find it. I love it when women are are dynamic, you know, they have, you you have so many different skills, but above all, what's coming through for me is that you're a problem solver. You like solving problems for people on their behalf with people uh, to help make their companies better. And so I'm curious, where do you think that came from? I was on my own at a very young age and started to have to take over household chores. And, you know, I also didn't grow up with any money. So if I wanted money, I started working at 10. So between helping around the house, taking over babysitting, I acquired my first paper route at 12 and I was working full-time at 16. So no one paid for me to go to college. I had three jobs going through college. It was a constant, you know, if I wanted something, I had to work for it. So one thing I was really blessed with was an intellect and I really had a um, a, a craving to know math and science. So those were my two subjects in school that I fell in love with. So I fell in love with finance and accounting, which is an awkward thing to say out loud. I don't really know too many people that say they love it. I actually love numbers in finance and accounting. So that's where I started. And what most people don't realize is that's the backbone of a business. I think too yeah. many people have treated accountants and finance like, uh, the redheaded stepchild. Oh my gosh, it's a necessary evil. And companies really need to look at that as they're really a partner with you to save you money, to help you, you know, launch new products and services. And if you treat people like me with that specific way, you're not going to have very strong people on your team. So I'm able to also sell. I'm our number one salesperson. So I'm able to tap into both sides of my brain. And you're right. I love that you found out that I'm a problem solver. That's something that I like to do. There's a problem or there's an issue, or we don't even know what the problem is. I'm willing to explore. I'm extremely resourceful. I tap into everybody. It may be the 20-year-old on my team that knows something or the 60-year-old on my team. Um, If You need to be a lifelong learner, I feel, to continue to do stuff like this. But you just can't be afraid to try things. And I've never been afraid. And since I can't operate in both sides of my brain, I'm like the first one with my hands up going, oh, I'll try that. I'll try that. So I think people need to be curious. They need to always be learning. Just don't go to college and get a degree and think that's it. You have to be reading. You have to be learning. You have to participate in this world and continue to grow and never think that 
you know everything. The older I get, the more I realize how little I really know. Yeah. Well, so I'm interested to hear how you've been able to apply your problem-solving brain. Your your you, you it sounds like you're you're not just an innovator, you're a disruptor. And and so I I'm really curious to hear how that has affected Twit TV and the journey of of your company. But first things first, how did you come to Twit TV? Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, that was when I was consulting. I had stumbled upon Twit TV. At first, I thought it was a joke because I'm like, what's a Twit? You know, I had to really think about it because there I'm is, not... There is like a meaning that's attached to the word that I, I, yes. I'm like, huh, kind of hits you in the face with it. But yeah, let's hear more. Yeah, so so it does hit you in the face because the first thing I said is, what is a Twit? Are you? I, I thought my CPA was kidding. So I, had, I have a network of CPAs that I was working with that would call me and go, oh my gosh, Lisa, you have to go in and help this business. Well, this was one of those businesses where a CPA called me and said, you got to help these guys out. And I'm like, what is it? So it means... <laughs> This week in tech, Leo Laporte, who founded it, has a sense of humor. And in business, nobody knows what it means. But if you go talk to your sysadmin, your CTO, they all know who we are. We yeah. cater to the tech technology enthusiast. We cater to those working in tech. 88% of our audience works in tech. Or they're affiliated somehow in it. Or they're just a, you know a geek. They're a fan. This is what yeah. they do. So it took me a little while to get my head around it. And so when I stepped in, it was just a handful of people and they weren't doing any of their bookkeeping correctly. And he didn't really understand the magnitude of what I could do. I went in there and went, okay, you need bookkeeping help. I took this giant pile of paperwork, dumped it on a bookkeeper's desk that worked with me and said, okay, this is how I want you to clean it up. So I would look at everything that they had and go, this is what needs to happen into doing it. So after starting working a little bit more, I'm like, this is really interesting. Podcasting was brand new at the time. Um, it's not like it, anybody even knew what it meant. So I was like, oh, this is new media. And I just saw the potential, like, wow, we could, you could do so many things with this. This is a medium that, you know, doesn't have to go through federal regulations while outside of like the FTC for, you know, ad reads, but it just seemed really interesting and new and cutting edge. And I started working a little bit more. So I straddled my business and Twitch TV for about two years. And then I jumped in when, you know, Leo goes, I really want to grow. And I said, you don't ask me to come in full time if you're not serious. I am only here because I have to make things grow. I just, if I'm not generating, I'm not happy. Yeah. And that's how it all started. Amazing. Well, I, that's quite a journey. Talk to us about Twit TV. So you've talked to us a little bit about your, your listeners, your watchers, your audience. Right. Talk to us about your content. What are what are some of the conversations that are happening on Twit TV? So our content is we have 15 technology shows. Some are long format, some are 15 minutes. It just depends on, you know, what which show you're looking at. So we are all about super serving our audience. All of our hosts that are on our network are extremely tech savvy. They're researching it all the time. We're booking guests that are experts in technology. And it is our entire goal with our 15 shows to be delivering to the audience knowledge and expertise that they know they need to make better decisions in tech in their lives. So yeah. we have an enterprise show that's covering all the enterprise technology, very niche, very specific for people that are really like curious into a deeper dive into what's out there. How do we solve things? What are the solutions out there? Then our biggest show, which is our network name this week in tech is two and a half, three hours long. And it has over 140,000 downloads each week. That show covers all the big stories that happen this during the week. 
and brings in all the technology journalists that can speak to it and talk about what's going on. And then we have our shows that are focused on specific tech you know, uh, spaces like Windows Weekly, Security Now, not too hard to understand what our shows are about based on the names. That's something we learned about a long time ago. So we cover iOS, Android, you name it. We have a show for you if you are interested in tech or even like a little around tech. So we've launched a show, um, seriously launched a show called This Week in Space. We have two editors-in-chief on our network, and we're now adding video to that show. We launched that a couple of years ago because people are very interested in all the technology going into space. We also have a photography show for you know the expert or the enthusiast because we all have camera phones, and guess what? That's almost everybody's cameras these days. Yeah. So we are really here to super serve an audience that we feel is overlooked in a lot of the general population. I mean... You know, at, a long time ago, it's like, oh, a geek. But now everyone's like, where are they? Yeah. <laughs> People, you know, I think everybody's becoming a technology enthusiast because as we continue to pivot and grow in technology, it's coming into our everyday lives. It's inescapable. I, I it's, mean, we, we think about how technology has enfolded itself and entrenched itself in our lives. And I mean, imagine a world where we didn't have easy access to information and to digital products and to you know this this whole revolution that that we seem to be very much you know and, and for as far as i can see it's just the beginning you know, we're oh, just I, now we're starting just to have hurting. conversations about AI that touch the public consciousness. You know, I, I had a fascinating conversation on here on Startup Hustle with Suman Kanaganti with Personal.ai, where we were talking about the morality and the ethics of yes. AI. And it's like, these are still questions that we're having because we're kind of, we're at the precipice. Like we're right at the beginning of this technological revolution. And I know it feels like we've been in it for a while, but I mean, it's really only just beginning. We're, we're I think AI is taking over too. Yeah. I think, I, too. <laughs> I think that's our, that's probably, we're looking at doing a show around AI because for us, what we want to do is continue to add to our network that our audience is curious about. So yeah. we do a survey every year and we get over 10,000 responses. No one gets that for a podcast network. It's opt in. We want to know what they want to know about. It's also oh where we get gosh. our data. I was to... totally going to ask you that. Like, talk to us a little bit. I, so I, I was going to ask, I swear to God, this is on my notebook to ask you. Uh, but I was I was going to ask you, you know, talk to us about that market research component. Because one of the things that Twit TV has done really, really well is you've stayed abreast and you've stayed knowledgeable about a very wide, like technology is a huge subject umbrella. And there are all kinds of verticals and things that you can dig down into. So I'm really curious about that, that audience piece, because you speak to your audiences very well, you meet them at their yes. level, you talk to them about topics that they're interested in. And that seems to be kind of the cornerstone of your strategy. But talk to us about how you came to connect with your audiences and ask them those questions. That's a brilliant question, because I think people are when people start a podcast, at least I've had the experience of talking to people, they're like, I want to make a lot of money. And I'm just like that. Whoa, Great. Whoa. <laughs> hold on, step back. You're, you shouldn't be doing a podcast to make a lot of money. You should be doing a podcast because you are an expert in something and you have something to tell people or okay, maybe you're funny and you're a storyteller. I'm not saying you can't have those podcasts, but in our case, we are here to super serve our audience. So how we connect with our audiences, we have a chat room. So we do all of our shows live 
to tape, exception of a couple of shows that are very heavily edited and formatted. So we don't, we do them behind the scenes, but the bulk of our shows are done live to tape. So our audience can watch the show. They're in the chat room that our hosts can see too. Sometimes the host will acknowledge them or after the show be talking to them or before the show be talking to the audience. So we engage with our audience and in a and that's podcasting. You engage with your audience on a whole different level that yeah. you wouldn't do on radio or TV. So we have this chat room of committed fans that are in there. And then when the pandemic hit, it was my idea to go, oh, wow, we lost 60% of our advertisers in two weeks because who wants to buy a camera travel bag when you're not going anywhere? Right. So I actually started a club which took our community to a whole new level. So we have an ad-free club for those fans who don't want to be tracked, that want privacy yeah. and want to be more engaged because we now have a Discord channel for these fans. So our hosts participate in it. We have channels for all of our shows. We have a channel for like games or space or anything people are interested in. So we created a community in a time where people were locked up, where people could come and hang out with like-minded people. And that's continuing to grow still because there's a lot of people that are introverted that are into tech. And this gives them that platform to hang out with other people that they love. So in addition to that, we don't treat our audience like they're just an audience. We treat them as if they're intelligent and we do meetups and we used to be open to the public until the pandemic. And we're trying to figure out how we can accomplish that again later as things open up more and more right now. It's too soon. Still, we have compromised, you know, immune systems for some of our staff. So we're still closed, but we miss that interaction of a lot of people to come in and book and see our shows. So for us, that's how you build relationships with your audience. They, you know, they write into us, they send us their questions. We acknowledge their questions on some of our shows. And it's just really about, we pay attention to them. We always, you know, and that's where I told you, we came up with, we do an annual survey. It was open for four weeks in January, over 10,000 responses. This is where we get information. To to anybody, that would be a statistically significant sample is what we call that. No, I know people are like, oh wait, you get 200 people. And I'm like, no, it's 10,000. And they're like, Like, come on. uh, (laughs) That's a a really difficult thing to do to have that level of engagement. And it sounds like, you have baked in engagement at every level of the business. You, you yes. send out the surveys, you engage while on the show, you create additional content that acts as touch points for your listeners. And so, right. so, so your audience is not passive. Your audience is highly engaged. Yes. And that engagement is, I, I think, where that relationship kind of starts. You know, right. First, you have to get them to care. Yes. And then you can have a conversation, you know, you, right. you don't want to have a conversation with people who don't care because they're not going to come up with any kind of good feedback. You don't want to have a conversation with people who aren't engaged. And so, so I love that piece of your business model. And, and I'm going to tell you, I, I have to tell you, Lisa, there is another company out there that is really, really good at engagement. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're full scale. Uh, finding expert software developers doesn't have to be dis- difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the full scale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. And I'm going to tell you, this is not anything that they have asked me to say, but I'm just going to say it like full scale. I have never seen clients that are so highly engaged with a software development company. It's so odd to watch. It's really cool. 
But uh, full scale, they do a really, really great job of not just talking at their customers, but actually talking with their customers. And so, so definitely check them out, fullscale.io. Friends, we are here with Lisa Laporte, and Lisa is talking to us about Twit TV, which that name still makes me giggle. I'm not going to lie. But I do love the fact that you have like commandeered, hijacked the meaning and turned it into something really cool this week in technology. Uh, talk to us about... We, we've been talking about that in audience engagement, and, and right. I'm really interested because, I again, you've done so many things remarkably well. You don't build a podcast to millions in li- listenership without doing some things really, really well. But to me, audience engagement seems to be number one with a bullet. What are some of the other things that you have done well that, that you wish other podcasters knew? It's all about the content, too. I mean, yeah. you have to. Over the years in in pulling our survey, you know, with our audience, we've discovered that content and hosts are the number one reasons why people will continue to listen to a, a podcast. Over the years with podcasts exploding, I would say over the last five years, content has now surpassed our hosts in what our audience wants to hear about. So I believe you've got to pay attention to the content and anyone out there that is considering a podcast, audio is king. If it doesn't sound good, stop, reset, make sure it sounds really good. But really it's bringing and delivering the content and bringing the experts on our network that they want to hear from these experts. They want to hear from our hosts and we're constantly looking at the content and making sure that we're delivering the right information to our audiences. For sure. Well, and so for for our friends at home or listeners who might already have a podcast, might be considering starting one, I do just want to kind of like highlight, honor, and acknowledge that audio is king thing. That is actually something that Lisa and I were talking before hopping on. Uh, It doesn't take a huge financial investment to get decent equipment, like a microphone, you know, whatever it takes to create a good environment to record in, but definitely invest some time and some energy in that and know that you might not get it right the first time, but that audio piece is hugely important. Now, the piece that that really resonated with me though was that content piece right. and so i'm i i cannot express to you there there are millions of podcasts out there it feels like and yet people keep on coming back to yours because you put out good quality content and you've talked about the fact that you engage your audience that you ask them what they want to hear about but talk to us a little bit about putting together an engaging show you know it starts with a host maybe maybe i don't know it starts with the content and the host and the audio all the things uh but talk to us about how you put together an engaging show that people really want to listen to and interact with? Typically, it starts with the, um, we we have plenty of content we want to do. So we know other things that we want to start adding and, and, and putting onto our network. So that's something we identify. And then we go out and we start looking for the hosts. So a really good example is when we launched This Week in Space. You know, we we had the editor-in-chief at Ad Astra on our radio show, and we kept going, gosh, we really want to do something around this topic. So we talked with him, and then we also talked with the editor-in-chief at Space.com, Tarek Malik, who's also on this 
show we launched. And we figured, you know, this is the right blend of chemistry. We're going to put this in our club because now we have a club and we're going to like workshop it there and see how it goes. So we now have the ability in our club to workshop a few shows to see if, do we have the right people? Is this the right content? And the biggest thing is, can this sustain 52 weeks a year? Because you want to make sure that the content is something that's going to be, people want to listen to over and over again. So we typically only launch weekly podcasts. We've dabbled with daily. I think there's a place for daily and things along those lines, but we found our sweet spot is with weekly. So we really pay attention to that. So for us, it's a combination of, do we have the right host? And is this the content we want to do? And is this a show that can sustain 52 weeks a year? Those three things have to be in play for us. Another thing we do too is 99% of our audience listens to all or most of our podcasts. Most of our podcast is at 86%. They do this because they like the hosts. We also only bring on advertisements that are host read and that can super serve our audience. So we don't lose our audience at the end of our shows or during an ad read. Because like you, we're engaging them with a host red ad, which is proven to be even better. And our audience is like, stop it. You're always bringing us these ads and we want to buy stuff because, you know, you pay attention to us. So, so they You're love like, it. No. I can't stop it. It's part of our revenue model. That's what we can't. do. Right. So, so um, really um, we take our time. And so if we can workshop a show, sometimes we go, you know what? We workshop the show. It didn't work. We couldn't build an audience or we workshop a show and we have a different benchmark on that. Most people are happy with three to 4,000 downloads. We have to hit 10 for a to even consider it to be somewhat successful. And then if it's very niche, that's all it may be. But typically for success for us, we're at 25 to 30,000 downloads per episode. Yeah. Well, you you said a lot of gems in there and and I found a through line and I'm going to tell you about my through line, Lisa. You know, you talked about the fact that people actually want to buy the products that you, and you, you vet the products that you, uh, that you put on ad reads for your shows. You talked about, you know, working with the hosts to come up with the most engaging part of the question and the through line of all of those things that you just mentioned. And there were a few more, uh, the through line is trust. Yes. You have built up trust with your community to the point where if you recommend something, people are going to take that seriously. And you have built up trust to the point where your listeners come back to you time and time again, because even they know that even though they're very busy, when they come to your show, they're going to find content that is relatable, accessible, informative, and engaging. And so you've, you've cultivated trust with your audience. And I want to talk to you about what that means for Twit TV. What, what does that trust look like? And what are some ways that maybe our, our listeners at home could engage? You know, they might not all have podcast audiences. In fact, probably most of them don't. But what are some ways that you can engage and build trust with your audience, whether that's clients, whether that's friends, whether that's listeners? What does that look like to you? Well, it begins with A, being open and honest and transparent with them. And, you know, our hosts will go and do all the research and then they do a show and they'll t- they'll give you your it- 
their insights on technology and how to use it and things like that. And they're experts and they're going to, you know, they give you the pros and cons of everything. So they won't just sit there and go, oh yeah, the iPhone's the only thing that we recommend. They'll be like, oh, the iPhone does this and Samsung does this. So we don't treat, we treat our audience as if they're intelligent and we're always transparent with them. And, you know, that has bit us in the rear end a few times. For instance, when we've, you know, uh, we had a sponsor on our network that went away three years ago and now their company has fallen apart and they have breached trust. We have audience members that are mad at us that that trust is now breached because that their service is no longer valid. And we've had to go to them and say, you know, we're really sorry. They haven't been with us in three years. We didn't know they were going to go sideways. And so we acknowledge that and we're willing to admit when, you know, something didn't work out down the road or, or we we gave the wrong impression on something. So I, I think being transparent and being honest, and even when you make a mistake, being honest about it yeah. has continued to build trust. Plus the engagement, they like to talk to us. They want to hear from our hosts and we're fun. Believe it or not for a tech network, our hosts are entertaining. You know, they have a sense of humor. So I believe all of those pieces coming to play work, but really treating your audience with respect and that they're intelligent yeah. is really the biggest thing I would do. Well, and I do just want to, like, you said something that really resonated with me because, you know, that that trust piece, that authenticity piece, and in particular, a certain vulnerability, I think, like being able to admit that you've made a mistake. I, I've experienced that with Innovate Her KC. You know, we've definitely messed up in the past. Like, and, and I mean, there, there are many many situations. And I, I'll tell you over a cocktail sometime, but I definitely need some liquid courage to tell the full story. Uh, but, you know, we, we've had situations where we've had to kind of own our ass and be just like, hey, you know, we screwed up. This is how we screwed up. This is how we're going to rectify the situation. We are deeply sorry. Uh, you know, and that's one of those things that you can use to build a relationship, you know, being able to admit your own failures or you know, being able to to get vulnerable with your audience right. and just say, Hey, we're not perfect. We're not a monolith. We're not the, the end all be all of everything. What we are is a source that you right. can trust because even when we screw up, we're going to tell you about it. We're not going to try to brush it under the rug. Uh, so, so I really love that because I think that that is such an integral piece to building, not just a podcast, but building a brand. You want right. your brand to ultimately to be trusted. And so, so I think that that's a really powerful thing. Um, you know, I used to work in customer service and when I was training my agents, uh, one of the things we would always have to deal with, you know, the angry customer and I, the strategy that I would always employ was apologize, empathize, strategize. I'm so sorry. I understand how that must be frustrating. And this is why you're frustrated. This is what we're going to do to make it better and make sure it never happens again. And so, so I love that you mentioned that because that's a, that's a key part of that trust piece. And in another kind of overarching theme of what you're talking about is psychological safety. Your listeners feel comfortable giving you feedback, coming to you and saying, we are unhappy, or maybe we're extremely happy, but we'd love to see this as a piece of content. And so I want to know, I, I'm very curious, you have a Twit TV team, you have a family of hosts, you have yourself and your husband. I, I'd really like to know what's the psychological safety map look like organizationally for Twit TV with your team? Well, it's been an interesting couple of years. Um, we did unfortunately have to do some layoffs when the pandemic first hit. It just, I mean, it didn't was, we all? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, um, we're, we're a small team. We're 20 people. 
um, that are employees here. And so we were larger, you know, at the pan at the beginning of the pandemic. And I was like really hoping to, we've done layoffs before we're media. I mean, everyone's doing it right now. So everyone's used to that. But for me, I really wanted to create an environment here that I didn't have in the corporate world. So we do our best to make sure we treat all of our employees as if they're a family. Um, we pivoted to a four day work week on January 1st, 2021, we went to, uh, from 40 hours a week, five days a week to four, um, nines. There was no cut in pay. Everyone's getting an extra day off and saving 200 and I think eight hours a year, uh, without, you know, any changes to their pay. They also, we give our employees plenty of vacation time. Everyone gets four weeks a year. They earn it over time. Everyone gets sick time. So we do a lot of things for our employees. We treat them with a tremendous amount of respect. Everybody, you know, wears a couple of different hats. So for me, I know what everyone's doing from my production assistant through my top engineer, and we have about 30 independent contractors that we work with because all of our outside hosts are not, they're journalists, so they're not full-time employees with us. So they're paid with a stipend. So for me, I'm pretty honest and transparent with my team when things are hard. You know, they know, hey, look, we're struggling. This is what we're doing to get there. So I guess that could shake some teams. But for me, um, if it shakes people, it shakes them. I just don't want to like be pulling the rug out from under people and and with no explanation. So yeah. I'm, I'm pretty... I'm hands-on. I don't ask my employees to do anything here that I wouldn't do. And we really treat our team with a ton of respect and we have really good benefits and things along those lines. So that's what I do as an employer and as the leader on this team is trying to keep everything together in that magnitude and just sharing knowledge and keeping that transparency open with our staff as well. Yeah. Well, so I got to tell you, I, I asked that question for a reason. And, and I just want to, again, honor and acknowledge to our listeners the fact that the best organizations, they when they pick the values by which they live, they live them publicly but then they also live them privately, internally with teams and then externally with audiences. And I feel like Twit TV is a company that has kind of figured out that secret sauce. Like you, you value authenticity, you value feedback, you value the people that work for you and that listen to you. And the way that you prove that is by attaching action to those values, asking for feedback, creating a culture of trust with your team. And so, so that's really cool. And I am going to ask you, this is a dumb question, but I just, I really, I really want to know, like, how does that feel knowing that you have built an organization that's built on values that you believe in? It feels fantastic. I have to say I've worked with plenty of organizations that you would work, no offense, like a dog, and there was no value to you. You're just a cog in a wheel. And to me, this is the environment that I always wanted to be in. So I'm hoping that they feel as good as I do, that I, I try to do my best. And my nickname has been WYSIWYG. And if you don't know what that means, it means what you see is what you get since I was 20. Okay. And I still <laughs> apply that today. So who you see here at work is the same person that walks out the door and goes home at night. So I sleep, I sleep well. There's this concept out there called behavioral flexibility. And yeah. it's like, it, it, it essentially, it states that, all right, if you are, if you are behaviorally comfortable here, 
are you able to be behaviorally flexible and act in ways that are at odds with your natural sense of being? And the fact is, if you cultivate the right environment and the right engagement, you don't have to worry about being behaviorally flexible. You can just show up to work as you are. And go. it's, it's a really powerful feeling. I would highly recommend it, especially to all you founders out there. You can create that environment. In fact, it's your job to do that. So, so, so go out and do that. That's that's super fun for me. Yeah. What is so? What does the future look like for Twit TV? You have, you already have so much market share. You're doing such amazing, amazing work. But you're a visionary, and I know that you. Ha- I know it just by the little that I know about you at this point, Lisa. I know that you have a vision. Talk to us about it. <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting. I think our vi- our vision has pivoted quite a bit over these, you know, 17 years that we've been around. And I encourage people to not be afraid to pivot, fail fast. If something's not working, walk away from it, try something new. You've got to be willing to try things. So my vision moving forward is we really found that our club is working very well. People really like it. They like the community. They like the ad-free content. We're not charging very much for it. So we're going to continue to add club exclusive shows for that audience, but we never want to alienate our ad supported side because that's really still our bread and butter. And and we want to be democratic because we don't want to be that we are behind a paywall for everyone. We want people, if they can download us, they can. And if they can listen to our content and if it helps them, then great. We want that too. So I see us growing both our club and our ad supported content, and we're going to be pretty equal to both. That's going to be something we're going to do in the future. I'm also looking at getting back at going to live events. You know, if I can find a sponsor around that to support that, then we want to be more at live events because you can do things now with a cell phone versus a full camera and team. So we used to go out to events. So that would probably be the direction we're going to go, at least for this year. But I'm always looking to what else is out there? How else can we pivot? What else should we be doing? So I want to be multidimensional beyond every platform that we can possibly be on, as well as adding some shorter format content on things that are cropping up. So it's it's a combination of, oh, we have these in mind, but with technology ever changing, something might come up in three months and we're going to be like, oh, we want to try that. Let's take a look at that. So yeah. I'm always curious. I have ideas. We have our game plan for this year, but I can guarantee you we'll probably pivot from that game plan about six or seven times. And that's just, and that's just the that's way. An entrepreneurial to, way, honestly. Like, yeah, that's really how this world's going. Responsive. Yeah. That's yeah. So do. keep uh, an open mind. Keep an open for mind. Sure. Well, and I, I, I have to tell you that. So that's how I live as a founder. I'm like, I'm going to make a plan, but you know how you make God laugh. You make a plan. So <laughs> we'll just, we'll just throw it up against a wall and we'll see what happens. Right. Uh, so, so I love that. And to our founders at home, you know, find, maybe find ways where you could potentially pivot. You know, if something's not working, don't be afraid to, to fix the broken thing. Now, I want to ask you, I, we, you've given out so many gems. And of course, I love that. But I, I, I kind of love to end on this note. And I want to ask you, if you could give any advice to a to an up and coming founder who might want to create, a, I'm going to I'm going to broaden it to content strategy, because that's really your gift. Uh, you know, you've definitely focused on podcasts and you focused on different kinds of media, but your gift mm-hmm. is content. Mm-hmm. You know, if you wanted to create a content strategy, what do you wish the founders out there knew? Well, if they want to create a content strategy, first they should understand why they want to do it. Like, for instance, 
this is a tech podcast network and we do shows because we're super serving our tech audience. Um, for instance, I launched my own podcast called Host Red Ads because I want to differentiate what Host Red Ads are versus dynamic ad insertion and how we do things that honestly outshine everybody else that's doing dynamic ad insertion. So I started to do that as a sales tool for my sales team when they're out there looking for new partners to add to our network. So I would be very clear. I would want founders to be clear about what they're doing the podcast for. Is it to grow their business? A lot of people do that. Hey, we want to talk about our business and what cool things we can do and how we help people solve problems. So maybe that would provide them with business? Or do they just want to, you know, go out and give the industry knowledge that they have that can maybe help others grow? So be really clear on why you're doing a podcast if you're going to add content as a strategy. And honestly, build out your first 10 podcasts to see if this is something you really want to do and see if it's sustainable. Take a look at others in the industry that are doing what you think you want to do. So don't try to reinvent the wheel. See what other people are doing. And is that a model you want to do? Yeah. What is... So you really got to start with the purpose. Why are you doing it? And then lastly, just make sure you have a good, you know, mic, make sure you're posting it wherever you want to. I recommend anchor.fm to a lot of people. Yeah. They just want to do a little something. I mean, that's where I do my podcast. I mean, I know I have an arsenal here. I could totally do leverage my entire network and published in like 400 podcatchers. But for me, this is just like a tool we're using in our strategy of going out and finding partners. So really it needs to start with why are you doing it? Yeah. Be very clear about what you want to accomplish. But then also you may be five episodes in and go, oh my God, we should really be talking about this. So pivot it if you need to. Yeah. Well, and just as a reminder, you know, one of the gems that Lisa already gave away is the fact that uh, money is not a reason to do a podcast. It is a byproduct of doing a podcast. But if you if you have your reason and if you are strong in your your content strategy and you you know you have a good host, if you have all of the ingredients to create a great podcast, the money will come. But it's not the be all end all. It's not why you do it because if that's the reason that you're doing it, I imagine you're gonna get bored really, really quickly. Yeah. So, so I love that. And now, Lisa, we come across. It, it is time for the human question. I have forewarned you about this. Yes. And you know what? I'm gonna do it. I, I told you I might do this, and I think I'm gonna do it. But hey, Lisa, uh, what kind of toppings do you like on your pizza? <laughs> I love everything besides like fruit and chicken. No pineapple. So we had we had a whole conversation about this in pre-show <laughs> prep. Uh, Lisa and I are on opposite ends of the pineapple on pizza spectrum. Just oh. an FYI. Uh, but that being said, I very much respect your choice. Uh, <laughs> do you have? You know, favorite? my salesperson, his favorite pizza is Canadian bacon and pineapple. And we always joke when we go to pizza. I'm like, don't let your Canadian bacon and pineapple touch my Can pizza. You throw, no, tell him to throw some jalapenos on that. Because, man, yeah. that's like a game-changing pizza right there. But okay, I'll tell do, him. Do you have a favorite pizza? I mean, if you like everything, that, that's a very broad I, brush. Preferably, <laughs> I'm uh, no vegetarian here. I love an all meat pizza, but I don't mind some bell peppers, olives, and onions thrown on top of it. Okay. So pretty much everything like a normal traditional pizza, I can do deep dish. I can do thin crust. Um, but yeah, pretty much all meat works for me. Okay. All right. So we have the consonant carnivore here in Lisa Laporte. Uh, I got to tell you, Lisa, it has been a pleasure to have you here on the show. And I, I've learned a ton. I, I always learn with guests. I always keep my mind open to the learning. But, you know, as a podcast host, I, I love learning from experts. And so I'm just, I'm very personally grateful. I know that the Startup Hustle 
audience is also grateful for the gems that you dropped. Thank you so much for joining us here today. And thank you for having me. This was fantastic. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Uh, you know what else is fantastic, friends? Our episode sponsor, Full Scale. If you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, Full Scale can definitely help. They have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions, and then the platform will actually match you up with fully vetted, highly experienced software engineers, testers, and leaders. At Full Scale, they specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. And friends, I am going to point you to some other fabulous Startup Hustle content. I don't know if you've heard, but we did it recently did a series, uh, and it was with Frank Keck. So you're looking for Fr Founder Fridays with Frank Keck. And Frank had the distinction of interviewing all of the Startup Hustle hosts. So Matt, Matt, myself, and Andrew, we all went under the microscope to talk about Building culture within our teams, that's a really huge component of building a successful team, and a successful company is built on successful teams. It's one of the, the building blocks, the foundations. So I highly recommend that you give those episodes a listen. Uh, my co-hosts gave out a lot of really, really beautiful information, so check out Founder Fridays with Frank Keck. Friends, we are so grateful that you come back and listen to us week after week. It is a huge honor, and we hope you keep doing it. We will catch you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.